I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Narrowing Down an Alternative Approach to Strip Till, is being brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX, boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. And I'd like to invite you to attend the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to Strip-Till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, Strip-Till fields aren't designed to win beauty contests, and a picturesque plot of land isn't nearly as valuable as the benefits of a well-structured system. Buffalo Lake, Minnesota farmer Brian Ryberg understands and embraces this philosophy on his 3,000-acre operation. Transitioning from conventional tillage to 22-inch strip-till, nearly two-thirds of Ryberg's strip-tilled corn, soybean, and sugar beet acres are covered with crop residue. While he welcomes the microbial soil enhancement to his silty clay loam soils, Ryberg meticulously manages residue distribution and breakdown to consistently produce high-yielding crops. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, Brian shares his approach to residue management and narrow row strip-till, along with the cost savings, input efficiency, and equipment setups he's utilized in this system. So yeah, Buff Lake, Minnesota is about 75 miles west of the Twin Cities, kind of south central Minnesota, Renville, Sibley County, where we farm. Heavy black soil, really good organic matter, 5 to 8% organic matter. Uh, we started looking at strip till, you know, about 14. We were heavy corn on corn, so we were running a Wishick disc and ripper behind it because it, everybody said it had to be flat and black. And started looking at the costs involved there and the corn market's coming back down, so we got to figure out a way to save some money and didn't like what we were doing. And uh, so we started looking at strip till a little bit, researched that a lot. Uh, we were in 22-inch rows, so we started looking for companies that made a 22-inch machine and they're pretty limited. The one that we, we chose was Soil Warrior. Been a fantastic company to work with. They're 80 miles from our farm. They made a 22-inch machine, and we took off from there. So these are my guys. I got Jason Anderson sitting up here, and Chris is sitting back there. Chris runs the Warrior for us, so direct any questions to the Warrior to him, because he doesn't let the rest of us run it. He has too much fun doing it. So this is the old way. Took a lot of fuel, a lot of power, a lot of time. The advantage was you could put a couple landlords on these things and anybody could run them, so they kept them happy, but we had to change our ways. So for those of you who don't know sugar beets, I'll just whip through this pretty quick. So we take the tops off, uh, the, the beet is exposed there to harvest, 
That's what the beads look like in the ground. This year happened to be the year that I took this picture. I think it was two years ago, but uh, phenomenal crop for us, so that's always kind of fun. That's the harvester. Yeah, you wait for a truck, sidewind with the truck, load the truck, he goes to the piler. And that's our sidewind, and that's our home farm in the background. So this is our first machine we got. They brought it on a Friday. This was a shank machine. We were pretty fired up about it. Snow's coming in two or three days, so we got to get out and give this thing a try. Took it out in the field, went 500 feet, looked at the strips, said, man, this is beautiful. Nice black strip. Went over the hill, plugged solid. Long story short, we went away from a shank machine. They brought us a different machine that has a dual coulters, and we're very, very satisfied with that. So one of the issues we had our first year is dealing with trash. We've had good corn crops, 200 bushel corn crops, and so we got a lot of trash to do with. So the first year, we were running a chopping corn head and just trying to build our strips in between. We got a uh, 12-row head on our combine. We got big metric tires, so we'd ended up with like six rows standing. Even though we had stompers all the way across the head, we'd have six rows standing, six rows flat, six standing. Come the next spring, those six rows standing acted as snow fences, and we've had some open winters, so they'd catch all the trash. So we struggled with the planter trying to get the trash moved out of the way, and for the most part, we had pretty good luck, but we did have a few stand issues, so we knew we had to do something different. So started talking to some people and suggested a vertical tillage tool, and they always also suggested to go away from the chopping head. So last fall, we did that. We went to a standard head, put calmer stock rolls on it, and we bought a, a vertical tillage tool and it's made a tremendous difference in what we've done. Um, I can't say enough about the calmers. We're believers that even if we weren't strip tilling, we'd run a calmers versus the, the chopping head. It just it sizes the trash so much smaller and it drops it straight down. So essentially when we come in to build our strips in between our standing stocks, that's already a pretty black strip compared to the chopping head that threw everything to the right. So that's what rig we're running. We're pulling a 24 row, 22 inch machine, dual bins that we can variable rate out of either or both bins at the time. Um, horsepower, it takes a lot of power. The first time I inquired about a soil warrior, I called the company and we have a 36 row planter and a 24 row planter. And so I thought, well, if they're gonna match up, we want the 36. So I told the guy I wanted a 36 row machine and it got deadly quiet on the phone. And he said, uh, how much power do you have? He said it takes 20 horsepower per row, and I'm not real sharp at math, but I knew I didn't have near enough horsepower, so we went the 24 row route, and that's worked well. The, we bought our own fertilizer tender, so we basically buy fertilizer at wholesale price because we don't need any service. We still buy at our local co-op, but they treat us well. There's a little fear in doing our own fertilizer application because we had never done that before, but filling this machine is like filling your sprayer. That wasn't a big deal at all. We've gotten into cover crops. Um, because of our sugar beet ground, it just, there's no trash left on top, so it's bare black soil. And we've had problems with that blowing through the open winters, and you've seen pictures of road ditches full of black dirt, and we don't like to be blamed for that. So we've started to do, be better steward that way. So this happens to be a farm that uh, last August, we harvested some beets early. We seeded radishes and oats right away with it and come the spring those were the radish holes after they had decayed that you could stick your finger in and really made that ground nice and mellow. I stole a couple of these pictures here just uh, trying to show wheel tracks and 
I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously with the strip toe, we, we shouldn't have that, but another one I stole, we uh, actually kind of saw this for ourselves. We had a really wet year last year. So in our area, we normally receive 24 inches of water. Uh, we had some farms that had up to 60 last year. And so come fall, it was really wet and guys were getting stuck with carts and combines. And so about a third of our acres are pattern tiled. So we harvested those acres first because obviously they're going to be the driest. And so we debated on some rented farms. Okay, which one are we going to go to that's the next least wet? And uh, jumped in, Jason runs a combine for us, and jumped into a farm. We thought, okay, and we can pick this part, but as soon as we get to this area, it's going to get wet. And I kept checking with them, and we just never left the track. So our soils have already changed so much just in the couple years that we've strip tilled that this really showed. Another good story for you. So. Prior to strip tilling, this was our planter tractors. When we first bought our 36-row planter, we bought a small four-wheel drive and we run all our duals spaced out like that. So we straddle two rows so we don't get that pinching effect on the narrow rows. So we set this up and we planted with it. Well, that first year we had a couple hundred acres that we were able to, to strip in the fall and then we did a little bit more in the spring. So Jason pulled into this first 80 and, and uh, gets lined up, sets the auto steer, and <clears throat> of course that thing would articulate a little bit, and pretty soon it would fall into that mellow strip, and it would fight, and it would fight, and pretty soon it would come back out, and it would jump across to the next one, and just couldn't keep it straight. So I think he had done the borders, and we said, we gotta change something. So called our dealer, and he came out, and he played with the settings, and we just couldn't get it right. And so he said, I'll tell you what, he said, I got a front wheel sitting in the lot. He said, maybe you want to try that if you want to take the time and move all your equipment. And I said, well, we got to do something because we got to get this right. We got to know going forward if that's our issue. So he brought out a 8335R and we hooked onto it and planted straight as could be. I said, that was the easiest deal he ever made because we traded tractors. So we planted with that the next year <clears throat> or finished that year, planted with the next year. Of course, this was last year when we had a lot of rain, so we had a lot of compaction. Those those wheel tracks. Um, we liked the tractor, but we were trying to do something different there, so that's uh, just coming down the field. So now we've gone to tracks, and we're planting one row on those tracks. That's worked out very well. We're really pleased with that. So our 24 row typically plants our sugar beets and then jumps in and helps out when we're done, but it's worked out very well. We run clean sweep uh, trash wheels on the front of both of them really like that. I think that's an investment that pays herself pretty fast. This is another experiment. So we we're going to plant sugar beets into soybean ground and typically most people seed wheat, broadcast wheat or oats in the spring as a cover crop because the sugar beet's very susceptible to wind damage and erosion in the spring. So we decided, well, we got to do something. So we had been using cereal rye after our beet crop in the fall that's worked out really well. So we had a little bit in our fertilizer tender. So as we're loading fertilizer, we cracked the door a little bit, kind of guesstimating how much we're putting on. And we got around a little thick, but it did work out pretty well. So we've saved our beet acres that have had cereal rye uh, done these in the spring. It does work out pretty well. I'm a little concerned about the compaction, although we don't see our wheel tracks or anything. But uh, so on our sugar beets, we were convinced because we're only planting like an inch, inch and a quarter. And if we have any deviation in the strip, we were having some stand issues because if you, you know, planter, you 
goes through a, a dip in the soil or whatever, all of a sudden you'd have beets laying dry, laying on top. So we decided we we're gonna build a freshener. Well, I'm kind of a tight wad and we had a alloy cultivator standing in the shed like most people maybe have and decided to put that to use. So we got creative and tried to keep a low budget. These wheels here, these are a regular set of trash wheels that Jason found on Craigslist because we're always snooping on Craigslist like most guys are. We picked them up, cut them apart, and made them in line, offset from each other instead of at the angle. These here were our old trash wheels off our 24-row planter, and we've been trying to figure out a way to build a rolling basket that could act as the gauge wheel to set the height of these. And he looked at them and said, geez, why don't we just weld our odds across from them? We got our rolling basket. So we made up new brackets and good bearings, and we don't have a lot of money in it, but it worked out really well and served its purpose. If the other guys in here, we did try to copy you, but we did it a lot cheaper. <laughs> so this is actually our test run in March. There isn't many chances that you could do anything in the field in March in Minnesota, but it was just dry enough on the headlands right south of our shop. We jumped out there to make sure this thing was going to work. We've only used this on our corn ground going to sugar beets. We throw a guy in there, he can run eight, nine miles an hour as long as he can keep it on the strip. And it's just made it a lot more uniform to plant into. So that's the sugar beets coming up in the strip. We're really pleased with how that looks. Corn crumb up in the rye that was terminated. Since soybean ground, we've got the Precision 2020 monitors on both planters. And of course, you watch the ride all the time and hardly ever moves off 99, 100%. And that soybean ground is just beautiful to plant into. So then we got into the cover crop thing. And I applied and got a, a grant from the Minnesota corn growers. So we purchased this uh, Hineker box. Our side dress bar is a 36 row bars so this one has 36 outlets so we plumbed and uh, you can see it in here we're just dropping it straight down broadcasting more or less but part of my grant proposal they required that we have some type of way to get seed to soil contact so we didn't want to go out and buy a thousand dollar row disc openers to get that seed into the ground and we we're trying to figure out a way to do it so we came up we just put a drag tooth behind each coulter and you should see it in action here. It worked out really well. We'll get back to Brian's discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, Brian noted his preference to find cost-conscious solutions in his strip-till operation, and one example he shared was modifying an old cultivator to serve as a strip freshener in the spring. He retrofitted two sets of trash wheels to create a low-cost strip freshener, which he then test ran with promising results on corn ground going to soybeans. Sometimes upgrades don't have to be expensive, and I've found during strip-till visits that farmers are often willing and proud to share a recent homemade modification they've made to improve their system. Let's get back to the program now. 
Hear more from Brian Ryberg answering questions about different challenges and successes he's had in his strip till operation. He's asking any issues with 24-row strip till bar versus our 36-row planner and our 24-row planner. No, we're RTK signal. Actually, the 36-row follows better because they're both pull type. Our 24-row is mounted, so you got to shift a little bit once in a while, but not an issue at all. In fact, we got uh, one of the first farms we did was kind of a rolly farm for us. For us, it's rolly because most everything else is flat, but uh, followed like a dream. So, yeah, we don't have implement steering on either the planter or the or the warrior. He asked the question if we can variable rate our fertilizer. Yeah, that's a warrior setup that you can variable rate out of either or both boxes. So that that's worked like a dream. I mean, we calibrate it and our 2630 screen runs it, got a Johnny rate controller on it, and it's very accurate and very simple to do. So Chris rates our prescriptions and plugs them in there and away you go. Yeah, we're locating our fertilizer in the strip, just it's dropped straight on top of the strip ahead of the containment wheel so it gets mixed in to the whole soil profile that we're incorporating. So question about why we didn't like the shank machine. Well, it's residue management. Now, after using a Selford, maybe we'd have better luck with the shank. You know, I listened to the presenter this first one this morning and talking about all the issues with the different shanks and switching shanks and we really like the Coulters and I'm looking at his issues and think why don't you just go to Coulters and then all goes away and so we've been really pleased but we're we're still rookies yet so a question on same strip every year do we jump over so on soybean ground we'll make our strip right in the soybean row otherwise we kind of miss that year if you're jumping back and forth to get fertility in there otherwise we jump back and forth and the sugar beet thing is after you go through a sugar beet field, it's kind of hard to find where those rows were. So that ends up kind of being a blank slate and you start over with your rows. And, but I think as long as you, as long as over a two or three year period, you're getting that fertility throughout that whole row width, I think you're fine. But you know, I talked to some guys at Ridge Tilled for many years and they started to get a stratification problem because they were putting that fertilizer in the same spot all the time. So question if we have every other row set back. Um, so when we got the second machine, the Coulter machine, we did have some trash issues yet. We started to watch and it was where the uh, wing wheels ran and those units were not offset at all. We got the company rep to come out and identify that problem and so they made us some setbacks. Basically there was six or eight inch block that we put in between the bar just to stagger them and that took care of it. So trash-wise, we really don't have any issues. Yeah, question if we try the deep cog. So for those of you that might not be familiar, ETS makes a, they call it a deep cog wheel. So it's a 30-inch cog wheel. And uh, you know, essentially go to the hub if you got enough weight on it in the right soil condition. So it'll run 12 to 14 inches deep. So the first fall, we did switch ours over. So in order to do that, you gotta get so much weight per row unit. So in our case, we gotta drop the wings and go back to 12 rows. And of course, the first time always takes you longer, so it probably took us a full day to switch it over. I look at it as kind of a ripper type situation. And it worked well, worked fine. Uh, I think we got a little lumpier in the spring where we had those, where we'd use the deep cogs. So then this last fall, we were so wet and we were looking at guys that were pulling rippers and bringing up chunks and whatnot. We were afraid we were gonna do the same thing with the deep cogs. And so we didn't put them on, we just ran the the dual coulters and socked it in as deep as it goes. So we're probably running four to six inches. 
And Chris, I think you can back me up here, but I think on some, like the sugar beet headlands, it gets so hard from truck traffic and so on. I think he was running those twice just to make sure we were getting in the ground. I don't think we'll put them back on. I think we'll live with it. So if anybody's in the market for some decogs, I... On corn, we're running uh, 36,000. We've played a little bit. We'll see now this fall. Chris set up some prescription uh, population trials. So we'll see what that plays out. But we don't have near the variability. We don't have sand pockets. I mean, we got a, I could name about three little gravel hills that we have. So, so I don't know that's going to really show, but we're looking at it. Uh, soybeans are running like 135,000. Yeah, he's asking about cover crops, if we think they're going to loosen our ground up. Yeah, I think it will. I definitely think it will. Um, we had a field day out at our farm July 12th. Second time we've done it. It's been been fun for us because we learned so much just from talking to other people but um, ETS been great to sponsor that for us and so we had some people there that have talked about that how it's just really mellowed things out for them and so we're looking forward to that I think that's going to happen so I just you know you think about it if you could have a root system growing there it's, it's got to help I had gone out prior to this field day and you know, it's one of those deals you in our case if you're trying to rent the neighbor's farm and somebody else gets it you're always a little jealous so I had taken uh, three pails for this field day and I went in my lawn behind a little shed so my wife couldn't see what I was doing but I dug up some sod or some dirt in the grass and of course that's nice and mellow and whatever it's just perfect for the soil aggregates that you want put that in a pail I went out into our farm that's been stripped twice just north of our shop and did the same thing of course, that wasn't quite like the sod, but it's, it looked pretty good to me. And so I went to the neighbor's farm, and the guys that are farming are just mutters. I mean, it's just it's horrible what they do. I could already get the spade in the ground. So I you know, dug up these big chunks and put them in this pail, and it was so obvious when you looked at the three, and you just you think it's got to help. Uh, how many horsepower per roll? Well, ETS will tell you a minimum of 20 horse. You know, we're running 530 horse on a 24 row, so we're a little bit better than 20 horsepower per roll. And you know, the next one probably will be bigger. Yes, that's the natural tendency to go to next size bigger. But for the most part, we have more of an issue. We have a standard hydraulic pump on the tractor that we'd like to have the big pump. He's got to around the ends because you're running these fans and all the hydraulics to lift. You know, we run a, you got to keep it revved up to go around the ends. But we did some custom work about 35 miles north of us last year. We got into some hills and Chris was complaining that we needed a little more horsepower because I mean, that changes your dynamics if you start climbing hills with 16,000 pounds of fertilizer in there. So. Thank you Brian for sharing your insight and advice on developing a narrow row strip till system to include residue management practices and equipment setups. Again we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor Topcon Agriculture for helping make this strip till farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. 
And just another quick invite to join us at the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference, July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics specific to strip till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on May 4th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series. And a reminder that you can still register to receive our Strip Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Brian Ryberg, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.